joining us for an episode of On the Hook. This one's really exciting for me, and I'll let you introduce yourself in a second. But Rebecca and I went to college together, and that's awesome. Yeah, it's I, there's a few people that I still talk to from high school, still a few people from college, but the numbers are very small. And I think part of it is some people just go and do other things, and our paths don't really cross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Rebecca and I have sort of just started staying in touch a little bit more again. Yeah. I think because just from LinkedIn, right? I mean, it was really, yeah, I think it's like commenting on like LinkedIn posts and we realized we're both doing security stuff and we should talk a little more again. Um, and it's been really nice. So I, I'll, I'll stop there. And Sam hasn't met Rebecca. I have not. No, nope. so forward this to is now. the first time um, that they're meeting. So Rebecca, why don't you do an introduction to yeah. yourself? And well, then Sam and, Sam and I could talk there for a second on what we do. So you know more about us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Barry. Uh, yeah. It, it's wild, right? College seems like a, a lifetime ago. So um, yeah. So I'm Rebecca Blair. Uh, I am currently kind of the leader of our SOC, NOC, and corporate security at Toast, which is a, a restaurant software provider. Uh, tech company based out of Boston, and it's just kind of been doing the, the security thing for a little bit over a decade, uh, and just doing some side projects on the on this whenever I have time. I have to ask: Did, did yeah. you both study cyber at college? Like, were you both in cyber, like in the same program? I, I think, yeah, we yes. were definitely in the same program. I think there were only like seven kids in each class year, so it was a really small thing. Wow! Uh, I want to say our program was like one of the the first to be an actual degree program for cyber yeah, security. Yeah, it definitely was. And so did for, everybody else in your class go on to, to do well and in the career? Uh, so I think it's really interesting. There's like a, mm-hmm. a, kind of like all over the spectrum. Um, so especially because the school that we went to was largely, it's technically a private military college. So they did go do both sides. So there are a lot of people... I say a lot, again, when you're talking about seven people, about half of them at least were on like the, the core of cadet side. And out of that, some of them might have commissioned. So they're not doing anything related to cyber nowadays, even <clears> though we kind of went up. So I think we, we have like the entire gamut of, of the spectrum there. I think people, people landed some cool places over the years, like uh, Chris, who had love to have on at some point. So Chris, if you ever see this, maybe I'll tag you in a LinkedIn post and you can come watch this episode. Uh, Chris Pashley, he was a few years ahead of me in college. He's the deputy CISO under Jen Easterly at CISA. Uh, there's some good um, talent. Another person I'll call by name, Keith Gilbert, who works at mm-hmm. AWS. He was very talented. Uh, there's some other folks working at some of the banks in New York that people who work at the banks are relatively talented usually. But yeah, the security programs across the country I think Norwich was one of the first because it was a military academy. Mm-hmm. And cyber programs, at least from everything I know at the college level, started through DOD funding. So yep. DOD is like, we need more cyber talent. Let's create these centers of excellence at colleges and pay them. And especially commissioned officers that were mm-hmm. going to go into the military, they thought this is a way they could get more talent into the pool. And then Rebecca was actually on the Corps of Cadets side and did the structured military. Mm-hmm. And I was a dirty civilian, as they say. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was on the core side, but obviously I didn't commission or anything like that. So it was, it was that weird uh, kind of middle ground. Uh, but yeah, like Cyber Command wasn't even established until I think the, the year after I left college too. So even people commissioning were just kind of going under general intelligence and then figuring their path from there. Hey, I, when I started, there simply wasn't a cy- cyber educational track at all. There weren't even... There really weren't even cyber courses. There was crypto as part of, of CS courses. I'm like I'm an ancient old man, right? So like I'm like dusty, right, by comparison. And um I uh I remember when these things started to happen 
and I remember a friend of mine got a PhD. His name is John, and I remember he got the he got the PhD, and I'm like, wow, that's a thing now. Like, mm-hmm. that's amazing, and uh, it's amazing how the programs have grown. But you guys are probably you probably were one of the first, and you're probably batting pretty high in terms of what percent went on to do something cool and to actually sticking to it. So, so did either of you, were you hoping for cyber or did it come along and you went, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll give it a shot or no, no, that's for me. Like, like what was the sense when you, like, how did you first see it, Rebecca? Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of looking between computer science and cyber. Um, I had always liked technology and, and did a lot of robotics growing up and things like that. Uh, really what sold it was you didn't have to take calculus in com- uh, uh-huh. under the cyber program. So that was actually why I chose to go under cybersecurity and not computer science was I just didn't want to take a lot of the higher level math. Wow. It's funny because I think of like in on the CS, I always think of calculus as a given in most of these programs. Mm-hmm. And then I think in, in CS assemblers where it gets like really, you know, rough. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that wasn't even, it wasn't a prereq, but, um, I wonder if that's when, did you call it cyber at the time or was it still information security? Memory stuff here. Yeah. Information security and assurance was the program name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did, did, did the word cyber creep in then while you were doing it? Because it, it kind of came from the government as a term. I think it started showing up more and more while we were in school, but like the degree program never changed that I know of. Yeah, the degree program is still the same, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that's a really good, when did cyber become core to our lexicon right when, when i know when I, I know when i first started hearing because I, I used to chuckle when i heard people say it be like oh and then yeah, well, when and then did realized, it go from a joke to you to serious well i think it happened in the government sector much first much sooner yeah. rather um mm-hmm. because it was turning up in policy right government uh, policy first and so we can blame lawyers at, well yeah, yeah actually i think you can right mm-hmm. and and policy wonks and stuff sorry to my friends who are policy wonks who i hang out with but uh, um yeah, and it became a household term, I think. I mean, if someone says, my wife says, hey, uh, don't tell people you're in security or anything. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why? She goes, because they think you work at the mall. I'm not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh, I, you know, so I don't think she'd be embarrassed of me if I did that, but I think she wants people to know more accurately what I do. Probably but, less uh, stressed. Mm-hmm. I guess that mall much less. information security professionals have one thing in common. You t- chase teenagers around <laughs> futuratively too. Okay. Mm, not, well, not I wouldn't be chasing anybody. I'd just be standing there watching them. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah, a lot I'm of security di- people digital. do that too, though. <laughs> you know? Well, not so much online, but yeah, most do, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when, you, when, you, when you graduate out of the program, Rebecca, what was the next step in your career? Yeah, so I graduated early, actually, and then... I think, I think it was about three days later, I started actually in a QA role. So not even in like a cybersecurity role, but I started for the company Tenable when it was in its startup. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I think it really kind of gave me the, the, the startup bug a little bit of like seeing Ron Gula come down and talk to people. Because at that time, we didn't even own the an entire building. We had about a floor and a half. Um, and so just kind of seeing that space and, and got into kind of learning how to write Nessus plugins and learning kind of more of the cybersecurity aspect of that. Um, and then after that, I, for some reason, had the silly idea to go into government contracting for a couple of years. So I did that for a while and then got my soul back and uh, went back to the startup world and just sold the other part of my soul. Uh, so it's interesting. You're a Toast, which is not a cyber company. Like It is not. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 
really interesting at with toast uh basically the the tldr there was the local sandwich shop i'm obsessed with uses toast uh and so when we had kind of moved out to our house and, and tried it out it's like oh like started getting used to seeing it around a little bit and and then somehow just saw that they were creating a, a sock team and then applied and was just like this is really interesting i, I never thought about any of the the security use cases that go inside your local sandwich shop or any of these restaurants or chains or or any of those so do you get any special deals when you order food for the sock is that like a uh, so not through that I need to know. however we do like occasionally for like a holiday gift or something like that we'll get like a promo code so it'll be like a gift card that you can use at any toast restaurant so that's pretty solid then Jacob, I don't cool. know were you at, were you at cyber reason when we when we went head to head with toast in the brand war no, not that I know. See, I don't know if you know about this, Rebecca. That's how I first learned about Toast. Okay. That there's a. No. I see. I see Jacob like looking around. And, <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So we, we had our fair share of stories at Cyber. I forget who. I forget who does it, but there's like a competition among startups in Boston, and it, it, oh, it yes. turns into like a pitched fight of like who had who because they vote in yeah. this round. It's like brackets, and they get reduced, and they get reduced, and they get reduced. I think it came yeah. down to Toast versus us. And toast one, and and it, the whole company was, and then what you're doing is you're like calling up your friends and your family, going like, vote every yeah, day. Of like it was nuts, and and you guys won, so so kudos on that. But it was, um, man, it was it was like it was like urban warfare, you know, like Which, trying uh, to get people to to vote. Um, so so how long have you been at toast for? Yeah, I've been at toast for about two and a half years now. Wow, so you've seen it, you've seen it grow quite a bit, and. Go through a little bit, right? Yeah, we had a, a big balloon, and then there was a, the rift at the beginning of the pandemic, and then it's just kind of continued to grow at an insane pace. I think our last public numbers were uh, over eighty-five thousand customers and over wow. fifty-five hundred employees at Toast, and and so it's been a really fun journey here. That's amazing. Yep, that's amazing. And and do you still feel cyber is the career path for you, or? I don't think, hey, are you announcing a change of career right here and now? But like, has it changed getting out of like a cyber-centric organization to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go more general, build on the cyber skills and then build more business skills. Or are you doubling down in so, cyber for the future? So a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely always am going to have like kind of that soft spot for cyber. Uh, but one of the things I found pretty early on in my career is I've kind of ran across a lot of CISOs who honestly didn't understand cyber at all uh the kind of the deal really quick story i tell is at one of the places that it entered at their siso came in and said if we just put an ampersand into your email addresses then you'll never get fished like that's what we need for phishing prevention and this was the siso at a decent organization and so i kind of had that in the back of my mind of you know how do i what get that, that level mean? exactly Nobody knew. And it's so, so wrong. It's my boss wrong. was upset saying like, what are you even talking about? And it became a whole thing. <clears throat> One of those things that stuck with you. Uh, so I actually recently, about six months ago, finished my MBA. So my goal is to kind of keep working my way up through operations and trying to bridge that gap between business and cyber, having the technical knowledge and then just trying to learn more about the business side. That, by business. the way, is huge. Sorry, go ahead, Jacob. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really great spot too, to, to plug your latest work too that was more mm. personal side which is the book you just published yeah. so rebecca just published her first book too on security operations 
Um, and I want to go back and talk about something else around college too that I want to just put a placeholder in. And oh, and I didn't notice around. she called you Barry. Like, is that a thing? I, Were you? Was that what you yeah. went by? It, um, I need to know. Like, yeah. So. Well, let's come back to your book in a second. Okay. Yeah. I'll tell this really quick. So, yeah, in high school, going all the way back to high school, people would call me by my last name instead of my first. And then since we're at a military college, also kind of a lot of people are addressed by their last name, not their first name. Um, it's like in law enforcement. I hear they do that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so a few people that I had gone to high school with also went to college. And so they were calling me that. I think a lot of people in college didn't even know I my first name wasn't Barry. Like they, a lot of people spelled it B-A-R-R-Y. And the, like, that was how you addressed me. And that's how- Rebecca, you did pronounce it with like, it was a little bit of an A when you said it. Did I? Barry, you said Not A. intentionally then. <laughs> um, no, 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 it's okay. It's like, well, it is what it is. So it's, yeah, it's, it's something that it kind of whittled away in my professional life sure, because sure. there weren't people from college and high school that I, that were at the businesses I worked at. So people just addressed me by my first name. But yeah, for the first, I don't know, 22 years of my life, I was often just called barrier by my last name wow well i hope you would tell me if that's what you prefer but let's get back to rebecca yeah yeah so tell us about the book yeah the book what what, there's so many things that i think that are great to talk about the content in general is good so why don't you guys content how did you decide to publish what what got you from uh just a pure practitioner to someone that's contributing to the larger knowledge base that's a lot of work it's not a small yes i think i think there are a lot of different aspects with that one um a i'm a little bit of a workaholic so anytime i see kind of a side project that i find fun i try to take it on um so i had given a couple of conference talks a while back and one of them had gotten a tiny bit of traction, nothing crazy. And Pact, which is the publisher, actually reached out to me first. and was like, hey, we saw that you've talked about threat modeling and a little bit of information. Like, we're looking for some people to write a little bit more around the kind of the mitre attack framework about more of like the practical side. I, you know, what are you, are you interested? And so that, that opened the door to the conversation as we talked more and more. And I was like, well, I would, but I'm also really about security operations. So if I'm going to write a book, I need to do it in my style, which is just as if I'm sitting around and talking to an intern, trying to teach them something like that. And so we kind of came to an agreement there. Um, And so I started that about, I think I signed the contract in June of last year. And then from there, it was was wild to, to have a team. So having an editor for the first time, having a project manager who was trying to keep me on track with, with writing this book. And, and so we ran, kind of went through in the outline and the first section is literally just focused on security operations of building out more of a diverse security team, how you would want to set that up, different scheduling options, skill sets, everything like that. Things like the concepts around purple teaming and how important that is and what it can be used for, driving metrics, etc. And then I go into the kind of the MITRE attack framework, but the big kind of point that I really wanted to hit home is We've had a lot of people come out here and say, like, you need to, similarly with any compliant framework, that you need to comply with every single thing. And that's just not possible. Like, it will never be possible. I think the an example that gets used a lot uh, between myself and, and some friends are, you know, actions on objectives. If we could actually tell you and predict actions on objectives, we'd all be billionaires because mm. we would stop everything before it ever happened. And so it was more about going through and finding the different controls that actually make sense to your environment and how can you, you know, put in uh, mitigations that might cover down on multiple different controls. So trying to be a little bit more efficient with it. And then the last section goes into more around 
kind of tying the minor attack framework to compliance frameworks to uh, different things that you just might do with your environment. So like run books, optimizing your teams, automation, stuff like that. And you pulled out the ampersand trick, of course. Oh, well, a, I'm sure. Not like, <laughs> yeah, like, I've told that, that story. That's no the secret at the end. Surprised. We gave it away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did, did, was MITRE Engage out when you started it, or was that a later development? That's the um, the framework on strategies for defense. Because I think I think they just renamed it. They had Shield for a while as well. Yeah. Um, so no. So I mean, this was just based off of the kind of information of what like I've engaged with in my career, looking through like MITRE and stuff like that. Um, so this was. They keep doing cool stuff. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I think our our next guest is a. Miter person too. I think Maggie, right, is our oh, next yeah. guest. Yeah, Maggie, Maggie's, Maggie's there. Yeah, she used to work with us as well. But yeah, so she's in um, Ingenuity, I think is what they call the whole the program. Ingenuity, right, group. She'll, yeah. she'll steer us straight. She'll hear this and go, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> <clears throat> but back, back to you. Did, so did yeah. you enjoy the process of writing? And you say you're a workaholic. Is it, is, are you one of these people that is like, like Brian Sanderson, you just have to get it out? Or did you did you find it Man, a pain how difficult to do? Was it so, to write? yeah. I, so, I, you know, timing is a funny thing. So I took this on when I was obviously at, at Toast when I was uh, in my second to last semester of my MBA. So it was already a lot. Uh, what I expected was in September, uh, my wife and I got a call near the end of September that uh, a baby boy was born and we were going to adopt. So Congratulations. <laughs> so, that's you. amazing. It's amazing. It's exciting. We actually literally just finalized our adoption yesterday. So everything. Thank you for coming on. I mean, you should be off yeah. celebrating. Uh, no, absolutely. But that's huge. Yeah. A little bit yesterday. Um, yeah. So I, it definitely became a lot harder <laughs> once we had a newborn in the house that we were trying to learn how to be first time parents. Uh, so we pushed back the, the deadline a couple different times uh, just to accommodate for like the new schedule. So it was, it was probably more work than I anticipated going in, but I think it's really kind of fulfilling. It kind of went to the end of being like, well, nobody's ever going to see this book. And I had somebody reach out recently, about last week, with a picture of sticky notes that they had taken in the book and had questions and comments. And so it was really awesome to see people That's awesome. who are reading it, who I'm able to like give back in a little bit like that mentorship down the line. So, so you picture, here's what you it looks yourself. like too. I got it, oh, got yeah. it here. For, Look at this. There's the... Yeah, there it is. And we'll link to it in the show notes too. Rebecca, so everyone, I'm going to have to sign that yeah. and, and I'll, I'll get one too. Um, yeah, really everyone cool. should go check the show notes, click the link, go purchase a copy, especially if you're in security <clears throat> operations running a SOC. Yeah. Did you get a chance to, to see anything on those sticky notes yet? And did, or, or is it just a picture so far? Like, did they send it to you? So far, like, yeah. I mean, it's so far, it's literally a picture that shows different colored sticky notes. So I haven't seen like the comments. And then they did ask questions. But part of the questions were like, they're like, I had this question, but three pages later, you answered it. I'm like, that's oh. great. But also, what was the question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. What was the thought process that right. got there? Yeah. So do you have the writing bug now? You're going to take a stab at a second book? I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I agreed to my wife that I would take a couple months off uh, and we'll see kind of where it goes from there. You got to stick to that. Buddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Agreed. Completely agreed. Um, and is she in cyber at all, or is she is this all like, hey, you do your thing? She she works in tech, so she leads a QA automation team at Toast, actually. Um, uh, but she has worked for cyber companies, and she is not. Pro. You can't talk about vulnerabilities in SDLC yeah, like that's not, not allowed, absolutely. right? Yeah. If, if anything, I usually use her like named as examples of like things not to do for cyber. Um, well, so, so you go like. A person I know. Yes. A, yeah. You don't like you don't like actually name. No. Because no. that 
no, no, I, I won't yeah. actually name her most of the time. Um, but least, <laughs> yeah, this person just like downloads all these random Chrome extensions because like it'll change like the text color for fun or something like that, or you just you know bring up random examples like that. Yeah. That's funny. And and if you let's say let's, let's go to a hypothetical world, if you yeah. did write another book, yes, would it be a cyber book? I. You're pausing here. There's I know. something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Ah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I think it would probably be a little bit more of of trying to build that gap between business and cyber. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. be anything where it's strictly to you know security operations or something like that, not as technical. But I, th- I think it would. I think that's the biggest problem that we have in our industry. Yeah, agreed. You know, it's 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 this it's this yawning chasm. The 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 CISO after CISO just sort of falls into, and business people stare at and go. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So let me um, propose something. Which hmm. I'd love feedback um, from both of you on this thought. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it may be impossible to succeed as a CISO. It's a purposely dramatic statement. Yeah. So let me. That's let why. Me that's why eventually we retire, right? right. I mean, yeah. Or, or why we see news articles as recent as this week saying the great CISO resignation. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, you know what? I didn't. I, I saw that, and I didn't. I didn't buy into the reasons for it. It might be happening, I, but it's not the reasons they say. It's a headline. Grind. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's my here's my proposed theory. If you're good enough at the business side, where the CEO wants you in the room to discuss the business, mm-hmm. you're probably willing to accept higher amounts of risk than other CISOs which increases the likelihood that there'll be a breach and you'll get fired. Actually, I'm going to push back on that, Jacob. I'm going to well, keep going, keep going, keep going. The point's to start the discussion. Okay, the keep going, Barry, back. keep going. <laughs> and then the inverse side of that is you're a CISO who is very risk adverse. And you make very good decisions on the risk threshold, but the business views you as a blocker and you get fired. So there's, right, so these are, there is a middle ground, clearly, right? I'm being very extreme. I, I have a take on this, but I want to hear Rebecca's first. I yeah, wanna... you, well, what's it, your take? Part of the idea of, like, you're going to get act. Like, that's an inevitability at this point. And, like, you should expect at some point in time your organization's going to get hacked in some way or another, whether it's through, you know, a phishing email or a zero day, like a log4j that comes out or, or something like that. Like, so I think it's more, I think you're at a higher risk being a blocker to your business. Because I think security needs to be seen more as like an enablement function, right? It's helping enable engineers to be able to kind of conduct their business in a secure manner, which allows them to be a little bit more efficient. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're just going to be that constant blocker, you're not only going to build that bad will so that if there's a problem, people aren't going to report them to you or come to you about it. But you're just like security is inherently kind of a cost center. So it's kind of up to you to figure out well, these prevention controls might be saving us money, but like also if you're a blocker, you're just adding to that cost center. So, so you think CISO should be more willing to accept yeah, that risk is something risk. inherent to the business? <clears throat> right. I think that- there's a reason mitigating controls exist. So you mitigate the risk as much as possible, but you do have to allow business to go on. And so before- I, agree with, I agree with Rebecca here, but Jacob, I think there's a flaw in your assertion. Mm-hmm. It's the thought that the CISO arrives at the C-level suite or the boardroom and they are correct about risk and that there's one way to view it. I've never, I've never been through a real, a real business discussion as opposed to 
coming in and pounding the table about risk where it didn't affect my own prioritization back in my in my department. So what I mean by that, um, yeah, <clears throat> al alignment isn't about them understanding security. It's also about me right. understanding the business needs as yep. a CISO. Yep. And so I actually just gave a presentation on this uh, and I used a dark forest analogy. I can go into that at some point if you want, but it was fun. Um, where I said, if you turn up at the board level or the C level and just go risk, 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 no, everybody expects that. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. So, and, and I used an example of like talking about zero trust and stuff like that. I said, if you turn up, try, try and do this. There's six words you can use. All right. And risk is one of them, but the other five are revenue, margin. They are employee efficiency, customer satisfaction, and strategy. Every slide should have something else but risk and preferably no risk on it when you present. So how do you go talk to the other people before you go to the room to know their positions on those five other things? And then I did a presentation and I actually said, I'm going to take risk out of this because we all know the benefits of risk reduction around the strategy. I said, let's talk about everything else. Because uh, did, did, did I ever tell you about my micro strategy experience, Jacob? I think we might have talked about it. Yeah, a little bit. Rebecca, yeah. I don't know if you know. So, uh, needless to say, I was not. Oh, I had a very short stint there. It's a great company, whatever. But the real reason was that I didn't really become a C level person when I was there. I was a CISO who happened to sit at a C level table, and I didn't become a business person first, and I didn't let other people own security. Right? I, I just everybody looked at me for the answers on that stuff. It, I, we never built a bridge. In other words, I was just an ambassador who crossed the chasm every now and then. Mm -hmm. So I so think you're a, right, but I want to make a counterpoint go for, for the it. sake of argument, right? <laughs> and then we got to let Rebecca speak up here too. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, we can bicker. We can. Sam and I can argue for an hour straight about <laughs> nothing in particular, and that's why we have guests because no one would listen otherwise. Just, um, let, let's say that you're really good at that, right? And each of your slides you're talking about project i like to use project omega every time i give mm. a for example i don't know why i don't know where it came from that's it's why better than project phoenix because that just burns up all the time yeah, yeah. yeah which that might maybe that's the accurate one is project phoenix so your slide says project phoenix which we all know is going to burn to the ground anyways in a few months is reborn and then burns and reborn yeah. and burns yeah we'll stop it the, the, everyone has one of those the so Project Phoenix, these are the four things that we're doing. We have these deadlines. My team's doing these things to contribute. These are the groups we're working with in DevOps to get this off the ground. This is the things that we're doing to make sure it has a successful launch for whatever these customer retention metrics we're trying to hit, whatever it is. And you do that very successfully and talk about that. Do you think because you never bring up risk in those conversations, because you are so focused on that part of it, when you do get breached, they immediately just hold you accountable. They just say, let's get them out of here. Yeah, but he something's gone hideously it. wrong before that. I mean, you should have been in the room and asking the same questions as everybody else. Like, hey, what are we? Are we? Do, you know, what's this metric that looks good here? As opposed to mm, risk, mm, risk. Mm, like, everybody okay, knows sure. you're going to have that perspective, so you have to lean in and show interest and care for the other objectives. Mm -hmm. And they'll turn around. The other thing is, you can't you can't just be there bayoneting the wounded. Uh, like, there has to be more to it. And sometimes there are risks you're willing to accept. Sure. But, but the, I think the alignment is a dialogue that takes place over a long period of time. If you just turn up for that hypothetical project, then everyone's sure. going to be hissing across the table and they're going to be dodging you in the halls. Yeah. So, Rebecca, you've you've been through some of this at a the leading, right, yeah. the security operations team at a startup. And 
Mm -hmm. startups inherently need to take more risk. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things startups do to disrupt in a market is be willing to accept risk when other companies aren't Mm -hmm. willing to at that time. What has been your experience in leading a team? So bringing people to achieve some of these things and the frustrations that practitioners develop when you just have to go and say, we're not going to do this um, and interact with that middle in between leading the team and the leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I do my best to make everything as metrics based as possible. Uh, you know, so I talked about kind of CISOs who don't have the cyber background, but I did have a CISO who had a decent technical background, maybe not cyber operations, but really strong business background. And they taught me a lot around, you know, building the justification, building out those cases for why you want to take that risk. Um, so, you know, for example, if I wanted to get a new tool in because of this major gap, uh, you know, having somebody like a, a red team or somebody who can have, or even, you know, contracting out and doing like a purple team exercise to be able to actually show, well, you know, these tests happened. This is what was successful and what wasn't detected. If we had this tool and had this spend, which would take this FTE, this headcount, you know, not only would we do be able to cover down on this, but here's the benefits from it. So just kind of coming together with like the entire story or as much mm. as you can. So having the problem, having the solution, but you also have to kind of break it down. What is the total cost of ownership? It's one of the things that before we buy any single tool uh, within any of my environments is we have to have a full total cost of ownership because it's not just the license cost. It's the data ingest cost. It's the headcount that's required to use it. Do you need additional headcount or what percentage of your current resources does it take? Are there AWS costs? Like anything like that. So figuring out kind of what is that overall aspect and having that as part of the equation for how severe that risk is and kind of looking at it as a, a full holistic picture. Yeah. Do you But I think we were also suggesting sometimes you adopt security and there's other non security benefits that go with it. Did mm-hmm. I did I infer too much there? Yeah, yeah, I think that happens for sure. You're like, hey, if we adopt this framework, you'll be able to roll apps out in a new way or in a new, it maybe have less cost in some area because you have to buy some equipment or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think right, an example would be if you go into like a GitHub enterprise, right? So while security obviously would want to go to GitHub enterprise because it's going to have more security features, it's going to give developers a little bit more uh, like freedom as far as managing their projects you know, sharing stuff like that. So it's more so that there's a benefit on both sides, not just for security, but for overall management of projects and and of the code base. Uh, And so ideally looking for tools that can be mutually beneficial. And there's one of those benefits, employee efficiency. Yeah. One of the other five, yeah. Jacob, Mm. I interrupted you. No, no, the thought's already gone. (laughs) No. I was already on the next one. I did it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, is there any other thoughts on this topic? Because I had one that was, I have two more that I definitely have something wanna... else you want to dive into. Uh, yeah. I think yeah, you should just do are... it. We did the conversation, just go where it goes. Let's man. go. So one of them, which I, is, is just a, a little bit about how I've been thinking lately about just people in general. And I think it's just apropos having someone that's known me for a longer period of time mm-hmm. on to, to bring it up. But it, I think we talked about it at dinner. So Rebecca and yeah. I got dinner, what, like... I don't know, two months ago now. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking just a little bit about uh, the people we went to college with Mm -hmm. personalities in our professional lives versus college lives and like the transition over time on how you grow as an individual. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that in parallel to security industry and professionalism that I've been thinking a lot about is 
how different people in their career look at other people in the industry and how the persona or who you are in the industry, how you present yourself is people are very dramatic about how they accept or reject that in the security community. Yeah. And that's something that I was talking to Rebecca about, just about college in general and more personal. Like people in college are very particular the way they are and they often change dramatically. Same yeah. from high school to college, you change dramatically as you go through those life experiences. And then you go through other life experiences, you change dramatically and you become wiser or some people don't become wiser, right? But the people we spend time with and we engage with either socially, professionally, et cetera, are often based around those experiences, how they change their identity, and if that's a person we want to spend time with based on that identity or based on those life experiences. And then in the security industry, you see back to the risk thing. People who, Twitter's the greatest example of this, the biggest echo chamber of security nonsense that exists. And there'll be a bunch of people that listen to this that will be pissed off that I said that because oh, they peacocks, agree with the echo. Let them, let them hit me. Come on. Peacocks. Yeah. They just puff, 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 puff. Yeah. But they, they do participate in that. And I think that's an area where a lot of maybe younger people in their career see that echo chamber because that's what they have access to. They don't, they're not part of a professional community yet. And they see that echo chamber and they say, that's what security people look like. Right. And so that's right. So that's what security people look like. So that's how I should present myself. And that's the type of people I'm going to associate and be with. Mm -hmm. And then people change throughout and adopt and maybe they change to more of a business side. And then they have a more business-based persona or personality and they learn that's the better thing for them. And you'll see those people that are hardcore security Twitter people don't want to associate with that person as much because they've adopted this newer business personality um, or evolved from their original personality because they learned more about how business works. And as Rebecca's talking about, like getting her MBA and evolving and going through this, right? That might be, maybe you can shed some light on that journey for yourself of going from like just pure technical to a business Mm -hmm. person. But I notice it changes a lot of the dynamics and communities. What I'm getting at is mm. over time. And it seems to create specifically in security a lot of infighting mm. that I don't really understand myself. Uh, like I don't really get the yeah. infighting. I don't get the the posturing on Twitter of everyone's wrong because they didn't patch this thing. And I think, Sam, you said it on some point to me like, uh, about the target breach. I think like, they didn't mm. have detection on because they, it was the busiest time of the year. Like There's very logical yeah. reasons for these yeah, things. You don't auto-detect when it can shut down You know when you make four-fifths of your money. Right. Yeah. When you're just going to destroy. False positives you. guarantee it will happen. Yeah. Right. Right. So, Rebecca, what, what's your thoughts one, on, on that journey yourself and how do you view the security community and these personas and the interaction? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's a little odd, right, that the, the security community is very cliquish still. Uh, and, and so, you know, who knows, maybe it's just because we're all kind of traditional, like the nerd background and like we finally like found our areas or, or something like that. Um but yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think like when we were talking about it, I was like, I, I wouldn't want to know myself from 10 years ago from when I was in college. Like, I don't think I'd be friends with that person, but that's the whole point of evolution and as you grow. And I think as you make that transition to more of like the business side or, or just in general, even like management style, you have to get get good with the other teams within your organization. You have to kind of open those gates of, of not being such a click. Uh, one of the things I think we also talked about too is you know, it's, it's interesting with people who want to get into the field as well is like, there's kind of that, that gatekeeping of, you know, should you get past, are you kind of allowed and, and stuff like that? And at the end of the day, like, who am I to say you should or shouldn't, unless you're actively applying to be under my team, which you'll go through a panel of interviews and, and that panel will decide, like, everybody should have the opportunity to get it within cyber and have it be 
kind of more of an open welcoming place. We, I think, especially with like all the different conferences, it's, it's a little like Mad Men-esque uh, where cyber is just the wild west still sometimes with, with conferences, with parties, with gifts, everything like that. It's pretty insane. And it's kind of fostered almost like a frat house kind of mentality a little bit. I mean, one of my mm-hmm. old teams uh, from a few years ago, we, in, and at the time we thought it was like an affectionate, like called ourselves like the frat house a little bit of like drinking beers early in the day, like and while we were working and things like that, it just became a thing. And especially obviously with the amount of startups have also helped per- perpetuate like kind of that idea of kind of the craziness of it. Um, but it, it's something that does need to change. I'm just not sure how we take kind of the step forward other than just personal evolution of you grew all up and matured and stuff like that. Um, I'm not really sure how else we, we open the community more. Yeah. I think like we, we all sort of project masks to some extent and, mm-hmm. and Jacob, Jacob and I, when we started this podcast, we said we wanted to, wanted to make it the one people wanted to listen to. Um, and I, we talked about connecting with people's real selves. And so I think there's also a generational component. It's not just how old you are. It's where you, where you were in the evolution of cyber and technology at what point in your life. It's sort of like what music were you listening to at 18 kind of thing and what the, what effect that had on you. And so I often get asked like, Hey, how do I get to, to do what you do, Sam? I'm like, don't, don't do what I did. Cause it's a different world. Like, and, yeah. and like I was saying, Ooh, in my day we didn't have cyber in school, like uh, whatever. Right. Um, but, I'm, I'm, I don't like Twitter myself because it is such hyper posturing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll read a little bit, I'll post a little bit, but man, I move away from the, the drama that I see there. Yeah. And this makes me think that, um, certainly at my age and my experience, there came a time when a crack in my mask happened and it was positively received. And I don't think it would have been earlier. So after a certain point in my life, maybe it has to do with me being male and, you know, maybe it has to do with where I was and all the rest, it was positively received the more somebody saw the real me and intimacy became more possible with my peers in cyber. And we went from being, I almost called it like the crunchy exterior. I uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Sean, the other day, and, and it was like most of us in security after a few years, we're craving that human contact and understanding because we, we even wear a facade at the business level, Rebecca, right? We're like, don't worry, we have the answers. We know the risks, like we're good. And then, then we're burning out because of anxiety. My, my brother and I were talking about this as well. We published something on it recently. Burnout's high. It's yeah. high because we have this stress on our shoulders and no resources and we don't know how to ask for help. And so, and, and we're worried if we crack, the business won't trust us. Okay. And then, but when we do manage to break through, and I think what I heard in your story was that, like, as you're maturing, it's you're making more connections in some way, more mm-hmm. real connections. But I also worry about the younger generation and, and the effect social media is having on them because another another colleague of ours, formerly Meg O'Leary, Jacob, we were t- I was talking with her the other day. She was saying what a terrible effect social media has had on the younger generations. And I have children who are just at that cusp, but like getting up to seven to 10 years old and you're now a parent, Rebecca, you're mm-hmm. going to be thinking about this soon. I really worry. What's it like with bullying? Is this a form of intimidation as well? Yeah. Right. Cause, cause the, the human experience is very much an online one. Now we can interact with far more people in this mm-hmm. less dimensional way. And I think the less dimensions we have in our interactions, the more prone we are to put up these simple facades that then the richness of who we are just doesn't come through as much. Maybe that's a problem if we're all more isolated and, and working from home and whatnot. I, I, like I, I'm, 
I'm a big believer people should work where and as they can and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But I think the connection thing has to be something we strive to increase in our industry because I've never seen it have anything but a positive influence. I don't even mean necessarily in a workspace. I mean, in the, in the community. Yeah. I wonder how, like, cause I, I feel like when I was younger in the field, I was definitely guilty of the gatekeepy attitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in college. Um, and so how do you, how do you translate to younger generations like that? That wasn't, I've learned that that Let's wasn't show it. great. Right. Yeah. And how do you then like, yeah, yeah. What's the, but you have the same. Yeah. You can't just, you can't just virtue signal though. Chris of Varma and <laughs> right. I, we tried right. to, we have a couple of friends of ours. Um, we tried to start something called hacking into cybersecurity and it was really easy to get into talking about it. And we had to remind ourselves, we have to go back and actually reach out to people and, and mm-hmm. go to, actually go to different places mm-hmm. and one of the things we do here is we bring our real vulnerable stories mm-hmm. out right we're not just oh look at how cool we are right it's got to be if we don't expose ourselves by which i mean show vulnerability mm-hmm. nothing worse um then people aren't going to believe it and they're not going to see themselves here yeah well yeah. Well, well rebecca from your <clears throat> perspective i, I feel like you, you sp- you said you spoke at a bunch of conferences, you've written a book, you're, like, you're really engaged right now in the community mm-hmm. as you, um, as you, you've really taken these next steps, I would say, yeah. from becoming like manager to a leader in this space. Yeah. That's yeah. the We're, best way I can put it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll say you're a leader here and there. The, okay. You've got a book. Leader. That's a thing. Yeah, you've got yep. a book. Yeah, yeah, you are. They're sticking no, you legitimate, legitimately. Yeah, yeah. And so wh- where do you see in the community that, that there's value. You said that you guys used to have this frat house, but you like attitude at one place and now you don't identify that with as much. Where do you see things that you do identify with? What do you, what changed in your mind that was like, that was good then, but now I see a flaw in that. Like, where do you see acceptance? Where do you see rejection? If you don't mind sharing. No, no, I I don't mind. One of the things that was good at least um, is what, so we, we have fairly regular offsites where we'll bring, I mean, my entire team's remote. So uh, usually we fly up to Boston and uh, usually on the first day, we have a, a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion team at Toast, and they hold workshops where it's all about breaking down barriers and showing that vulnerability through different experiences. And the first time we did it was was back in January, and completely admit, like I was skeptical. I didn't really know going into it. I was like, all right, we'll do this because like people say it's a good thing to do, but like then we'll go and we'll do the actual work stuff. And I think for that entire week, the, the feedback, not only I have some artifacts from like some of those literally behind me that I, I look at just to kind of keep me a little bit more. Oh, uh, I'm fascinated with what's that. behind you. Yeah, I there's say, lots yeah. of things. We can do a, a little tour in a minute. <laughs> um, yes. But uh, I think the feedback from the entire team, which were roughly about 20 people, uh, all said that that was probably one of the most useful sessions out of the entire week. And so when we just had a, another offsite uh, last week, and so sure enough, the very first day we did another one, and it was different exercises, and it's something where, especially where we're able to break down those barriers and show vulnerabilities. Um, one of them is you're in a group of people, and this is within the entire security org, so there's multiple teams here, and you're supposed to be paired or in a group with people you don't talk to regularly. Um, and then you start off and you get a prompt, and each person has 30 seconds to talk where nobody else can say anything. And realizing how hard it is to just be a listener and not just immediately respond and like jump in and giving everybody not only their their space to talk, but answering questions like, 
you know, explain when the last time you were scared was explain, mm-hmm. you know, who you look up to or the best piece of advice you received and what it was and what it meant to you and things like that. And also realizing, you know, some questions uh, I felt like I would just get started answering and the 30 seconds would be up and other ones I'd be awkwardly sitting there for the last 10 seconds being like, yeah, that was, that was the answer. What do I do now? And just like babbling for the last 10 seconds. And, and so if we could maybe implement some of that stuff at a larger scale, maybe at some conferences, having it something where somebody could be option, you know, optioned into it of breaking down those barriers across the entire community would be really interesting. It's something I know we want to continue doing on my teams and, and within my organization, but seeing more opportunities like that, where you can be vulnerable, where you can say like, this is a great deal once you get into it. Like, obviously there's ups and downs, but there is with literally every other industry and every other field of work. That's just kind of life. But being open to receiving some of the newer talent, being open to mentoring and and helping kind of show them a little bit more of like the right way of not gatekeeping. Uh, Agreed with like the fact that you can't just say like, hey, don't do this, especially knowing that we did do that. I mean, at Norwich, nobody can say we did it (laughs) back from when we were there. And and recognizing that now, you know, not just... Of saying like, hey, this like explaining more of our experiences, I think would also be helpful. Uh, we did gatekeep, and like looking back now, realizing like that definitely negatively impacted relationships that I had with other people at the school that I no longer keep in touch with now because of actions from back then, and, and things like that. So trying to kind of bring our experience, but not the fact that like we're lecturing, but doing it more of a collaborative style. Yeah. That's yeah, that's huge insight, and it's the it's the actively listening part that's massive. And um, you know, you it reminds me of um, one of these engagements I did for a team building thing, and we were told about trust um, and how it's dependent on yeah, someone's credible or reliable, sure, but intimacy was. The, the thing, one of the things that trust usually falls down on, that you don't actually like to spend time together and you don't, and you don't really know each other. Mm-hmm. And then the last one was alignment, <clears throat> which is that you want the same outcomes. And so the real reason we get together in groups isn't, no matter what we justify it with, isn't to get work done. It's, it's actually to get to know each other and build that intimacy. And it sounds like you did that. Yeah. How yeah. do you translate that into the virtual space? The reality is it, there's this battle right now of we're going to go back to the office. We're not going to go back to us. We're going to work from home. We're not going like, to, it's ongoing. The reality is that war is lost, whether people want to believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And businesses that are willing to accept virtual work environments are going to get a larger pool of talent that they can access. And they're going to continue to do that as a competitive edge. And then that'll be that, right? There isn't going to be as many physical workspaces, I don't think, in the future. How do you bring vulnerability into a all digital world. How do you become someone that's actually you in front of the camera? How do you become someone that's willing to? I don't know how many Zoom calls I get on every single week that are so awkward. And they're people I know somewhat well through work too, but they're still awkward. You like get on, you sit there, no one says anything, or it's like, weather's nice today. All right, great. Seventh call today to talk about the weather. There's more to our lives than that, but yet we're not willing to share it virtually. But as soon as we're in person, we're willing to share it. Is it's it funny, we have I, never felt that, I never felt that way when you and I talked when we used to work together. When we, I always felt like we, you and I mostly have spent the, time virtually than physically. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's, I know how, I know how I broke down 
intimacy barriers in a team I had during COVID. We did an escape the an escape room. And and it wasn't we actually had somebody physically in a room. And so we could ask that person to do things like, could you go over and pick this up? And so there was a kind of a, in our minds, we, we weren't separate. So and we so we have, could uh, humanoid android bodies. We, control. we absolutely <laughs> abused someone who was in a room somewhere <laughs> with us. Go over there like, go read that. But, but like it, for a minute, it was like we were in the room together. And so I think there has to be a degree of playfulness mm-hmm. and, I don't know. Shared, shared interest doesn't cut it, but it, 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 there were times when we did some social events. Mm-hmm. Like, Jacob, do you remember when Peter Ortiz read to children during COVID? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I went to one of those with my kids, and, and it was like he was reading to a room full of children. This was like, because no, nobody could go to the office, and people were volunteering to. We had like a, we had a concert for kids of employees thing. Uh, shout out to Peter, by the way. But, yeah, that those are moments that strike me as we got past the the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Similar with my team, we try to kind of switch it up, right? Everybody did the virtual happy hours initially, and those got old really quickly. Um, and now we're all just all drunk all the time, you know. Yeah. So, no. um, and then we go the opposite end, right? You, you go to a point, and then you just mocktails, and and then go sober after that. Um, but so we. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. this is water. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pure vodka. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I can't say anything considering my top shelf is multiple bottles of bourbon. Um, <laughs> That's what I thought it was up there. It is. I wasn't trying yeah. to right, let's get the let's get the office tour while while it's back on topic. <laughs> okay, you we're about to make a point. We don't I don't want to lose your point, Rebecca. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah, bringing yeah. around like the, the fun different aspects. So one of the things we we did try to kind of rotate, you know, somebody hosts something each week a month or something like that but obviously there's more some people who like to do that and some don't so that became more of a, a volunteer uh, kind of atmosphere so we do a lot of code names online uh, oh yeah so i like code names play that we're just playing it this weekend setup. oh the game oh yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's an awesome game code names, yeah. i have a friend who's got terrible vision though so he can, he doesn't know what the word is on, like okay. it, like at so one you point always he, went against him like, yeah we're like on the other team yeah we're like dude that does not say wet it doesn't <laughs> sure, like it just it doesn't read. Yeah, he can't. That's me. Uh, well, that's a possibility that's, too. That's me. I'm just. Uh, I'm not calling out someone else. That's me playing the game. Like, what's that word? Like, that's cat, Jacob. That's a three letter <laughs> word. You're supposed to have learned that in third grade. Right. <laughs> Meow. But yeah. Yeah. So we we do a lot of things like that. How do you play that online? How do you play? They, there's games? a site that you can. Fold. Oh, you use. Oh, there's also a virtual tabletop where you can play board games. Okay. Uh, it's on Steam. Okay, of I think it's actually called Virtual Tabletop. I'll have to check, but you can play like yeah. card games and you can play like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a ton of them, ton of games that you can play generally. Okay. Well, Why am I blanking on the name? I have like 12 of the games. Like I've purchased 12 separate game packs from this company and I can't. Oh, there's. Like, yeah, there's, there's some there. really cool ones. I, Jack, I actually. Jackbox. That's the one. I also have one where you play like train games in it and everything else. Like it's. Oh, really cool. Yeah, Jackbox I did with my team back at Cyber Reason. Mm-hmm. And that was. You really played popular. Talisman if you ever played that. Yeah. No, I don't we'll know. Have to, we'll have to play sometime. There we go. I, I think we. That's will how we could play a, like a card game and do a podcast around it. I don't know. We if should do that watch, as an episode. Yeah. Like, uh, bring five or six people and we all play a game, and that'd be a lot of fun. I, I, I think I saw a glint of interest from Rebecca there on that. One. Uh, no, I, I think definitely. Yeah, 
card card we're, game we're special. We're big board game people in this household here. Yeah, so we're I at, love them too. Uh, here's my here's my end of podcast okay. statement I make. Oh, right. geez, so we're at 50 morning. minutes. Ding, ding. Yeah. Right. So the next 10 minutes, Rebecca, you have to tell us about everything not cyber in your life. You told us a little bit about that. Not everything. It, it's, I mean, it doesn't have to be everything because that could be yeah. that's like impossible. But the things that, you know that I mean. really you love or that interest you or that that sustain you in those moments. Yeah, I think yeah. it's one of those things too that it's interesting because it, it changes based off where you are in your life. My answer a year ago would have been all around traveling. I still enjoy traveling, but traveling with an eight month old is very different, as my wife and I have learned now. Near impossible. Uh, do, do you guys, wait, hold on. Before you go on, do you know about the restaurant trick? No, what's the restaurant trick? And I hope this is true of your son too, okay. but it was true of both of my children and most children. They are put to sleep by white noise, specifically human voice-based white noise. So up until about a year, maybe a little before, you can go to restaurants and you can put him in like the carriage thing and you can put a little thing over the top. He'll fall asleep and you guys can have a civilized meal. Okay. Most people don't know this about their babies. I'm sure it doesn't apply to everyone, but I've yet to meet somebody that it didn't work right about now and you can still take advantage of it. So... Try it. In worst case, you go for a restaurant and you just say, well, take it to go if it doesn't work. But yeah, so please continue. You're saying yes, you, you no, love we'll, to travel. Yes. It's harder now. Exactly. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll definitely try the restaurant trick. We, he's pretty good at restaurants, but he likes to be part of the action very much so right now. Um, so, oh, nice. So yeah, he's he's, he's going to be it's gonna be a live wire. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cyber dude. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So other than that, um, we, we host a lot. So typically we have a, a weekly Wednesday night is our friend group comes over, which we'll have dinner and, and usually play games. We were playing five minute dungeon last night. If you have played that, it's fantastic. It was my first time and it's already been ordered. Uh, so by the way, I, I, I bought, I bought a game, it. I bought a, um, a dungeon game for Jacob and I'm actually going to have to host a game for him at some point in the future because I think he's been desperately trying to get into not five minute dungeon but into yeah. role playing in general. So we're definitely going to do that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so we do a lot of, of games like that. Um, my kind of like my Zen time is we set up a hammock. We have hammocks in our backyard, and so we're still working out like the schedule. But usually for at least like thirty to an hour, I'll just lay in a hammock outside on nice days and like read a book or something like that. Um, and so that's usually why I need to disconnect from all things tech. I won't look at my phone or anything like that. Just pick up an actual like hard copy, of, uh, you know, physical book. What are those? Um, so, so things like that. Um, are you reading anything good right now? I'm kind of in between at the moment. I was about to start uh, this book called Lessons in Chemistry. It was mm. uh, a recommendation. We had uh, Padma Lakshmi from Top Chef. Uh, as a guest speaker at Toast, and it was one of the books she recommended. So I haven't started it yet, but it is ordered. It's literally on my desk right now, so it's the next one. What was the other one you said you were between implies two? Oh, uh, yeah. So I've done a bunch of different ones. So the last series I just finished was uh, A Quarter of Rose and Thorns, which was a recommendation from a friend. Uh, And and so I've done a bunch of different books. So kind of read everything all over the the spectrum. Uh, The guilty pleasure, like reading from a kid that every now and then I feel like I still have to is Ender's Game. Love that. Exactly. By the way, my favorite Speaker for the Dead. Perfect. I'll take it. Speaker for the Dead. By the way, Jacob, do you know the series? Ender's Game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read Speaker for the Dead? Uh, I probably did. I read them when I was very Totally different from the first book. And the third and fourth book are like really one long book. But Speaker for the Dead is just one of the most amazing 
insights into the human condition and humanism that is it's it's outstanding but yeah ender's game is rocks and so my daughter she, i've tried to get her to read it a couple times because she reads everything else i recommended but for this one she's just resisted it so i gave her a little insight into what it's about she's like why didn't you tell me that and i'm like <laughs> there we go yeah I'm uh, uh, yeah it's just one of those that i didn't really like growing up and so every now and then i read that uh, i just read have you read anything else by orson scott card some of it's I, I a little a off, of and some of it's pretty cool. But like only within that specific series. So like the book that was around yeah. Bean specifically, uh, but I haven't read like any of his other series. Oh yet. yeah, the the Bean series. There was a Bean sub series yep. that was fascinating, and then there was one mm-hmm. about his sister and his brother too. I think I read the first one of the Bean series, mm-hmm. but I don't remember. Again, this is so long ago. I'm pulling very loose thoughts out of a. Oh, for those who are listening, have no idea. Ender's Game is about a kid who goes to a battle school. Bean is one of the other students from that battle mm-hmm. school. It's also they can learn how to fight aliens, and no spoilers. It, but they, that's enough. Yeah, that's basically. Yeah, it. it's very sci-fi. It's actually pretty cool. There's a movie, and it's not bad. Yeah, it's all right. I don't think it's okay. bad. If you guys disagree, you could say you're completely wrong, Sam. But yeah, I, it's hard. I feel like you get so kind of bought in when you're reading a book that you like you build up this whole like all the different scenes, and then like movies just usually don't do them justice. No, so everyone has a picture big. in their own mind that they build. It's their own story, exactly. their own adventure. It's hard hey, to Dune, translate that. The second yes. Dune's coming out this year, and I thought the first was pretty good. So. Okay. First, was pretty boring. Um, no, nah, it wasn't enough. It was yeah, just that's it was, fair. Yeah. right because obviously, like it's it's trying to build and set the stage for the the other movies that are coming out. Just kind of like the books. They've got a lot to put into that. I kind of like boring sci-fi every once in a while, though. You do. You're I kind of like boring movies every once in a while. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm weird. Boring sci-fi. It's like it's like going to a music concert. You're like what? Well, I like I like oh, the environments music. that people create and build in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so world building. Even if the movie overall, the plot can be boring, if the world is really intriguing to me. Like, uh, so I have a book to recommend stuff. for you, Jacob. It's a little longer, but Hyperion. Hyperion? Oh, yeah. Hyperion cool. is it's world building. And it's like, sort of like Canterbury Tales. There's, I think, seven people who are on a pilgrimage and they're telling stories in a tree ship. I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, on the way to these things called the Time Vaults, which go backwards in time really cool and every person tells a story on the way and each story changes the way you see the universe it's so cool because the first one you're like okay i understand the world now and then the second person speaks and you're like what that's a totally different thing and and the story builds on the basis of these people's stories it's really cool there. I probably ruined it for someone. They were like, and Twitter's going to go aflame on that one but yeah (laughs) i don't think twitter likes us after this episode anyway we should do a we should do like a book club because we've been talking about yeah. books a lot with people and or maybe music, music recommendation and games. Uh-huh. Those are the three things that have been popping up. Every single person in cybersecurity likes the things that all of the humans like books and games. <laughs> Let's get somebody yeah. on who doesn't like, like those three things and I'll be like, I hate all of you. Yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, well, yeah, I guess like there that. are I have friends that only like activities that are only activities people. Well, that's okay. We need them too. So there's got to be an activities person out there. We just haven't had them on the podcast yet. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, we've done an hour of content. (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on. This has been fun. If there's anything else you wanted to talk about, you you feel free to bring it up or uh, we will have you back. Always always happy to come back in the future. And we yeah, must game, and we must have a meal because it's not fair. Jacob did, and I wasn't there, so we'll leave it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds excellent. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me.